0: Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. We're going to get started this morning with part two, as Stephanie said, of this series, Hurts So Good, because the truth is sometimes love doesn't feel like we we think it should, right? And so last week we kind of looked at Job. Today we're going to look into another Bible character and to talk about being wounded by others. So can I just ask you, starting off this morning, and again, don't raise your hand, but have you ever experienced hurt from somebody you love, from somebody that's close to you? And the truth is, we would all raise our hands on that one because we've all experienced hurt from those we love at times. But, but maybe this morning, you're sitting here, and you're sitting right next to that family member who has hurt you before. Maybe it's a spouse who, or a significant other who's lied to you, or maybe you've been mistreated at work by people that you trusted, and they backstabbed you, or, or maybe it's neighbors who backstabbed you, or maybe you've been devalued by coaches in the past, and you struggle with bitterness much of the time. I mean, how could people that you love so much, that you trust so much, hurt you so much? Last week we looked at Job and you remember he was just unmercifully attacked by Satan. And this morning I want us to look at the life of Joseph and kind of walk alongside of him, a man who was wounded by other people, uh, by his brothers and by a few others, uh, but yet rose above that bitterness, as so, some of us have a tendency to get. He rose above that and then God blessed him in the end for his faithfulness. And so, similar to last week's format, I just want us to kind of dive into the life of Joseph. And then at the very end, we're gonna draw some life applications, just some take home lessons that we can take to work with us tomorrow morning. So, let's jump in. The first thing that we learn about Joseph's life is that he was abused by his brothers. His brothers were so jealous of him that the Bible says they hated him, they hated his guts. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 37 and verse 4, and it just tells us right there. But his brothers hated Joseph. Why? Because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They, They couldn't even say a kind word to him, it says. Now, this was not like, you know, like Peyton and Eli Manning, the brothers who won, you know, Super Bowls, um, for the, I think it was the 49ers and the Ravens, you know, they, or I'm sorry, Eli and, Eli and Peyton played against each other in the Super Bowl, one Super Bowl. And then the brothers, John and Jim Harbaugh, you remember them, uh, they played against each other in the Super Bowl, but they all loved each other and got along good. So it's not like that kind of scenario where brothers are just getting along. They didn't like Joseph. These guys were jealous. Joseph was his father's favorite because he was his firstborn child of Rachel, his favorite wife. His father, Jacob, loved Rachel dearly, way more than his wife, Leah, who he was tricked into marrying, if you remember that story. And Joseph's 10 older half brothers were so jealous of this special treatment that Joseph received from their dad, they despised him. And they talked down to him. And Joseph, he did make it worse by telling them about the dreams that he had had, which revealed that one day they were going to bow down to him. And so they hated him. They hated him so much that they devised a plan to kill him. Now, Jacob one day asked Joseph to go out and check on his brothers. They were out tending sheep at this place called Shechem, and he just wanted to make sure they were okay. So he's going to send Joseph to check on them. Jacob gravely miscalculated this situation. He was very naive here. So he unknowingly puts Joseph in a a very hostile environment. I want you to look at it in verse 18. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and let's throw him into one of those cisterns. We can tell our father that a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. You know, dogs traveling in a pack of four or more can be extremely dangerous, can't they? And sinful people in groups tend to sink to the lowest level of its lowest member at times. They begin to exaggerate. They begin to, to challenge things. And there's this fear of losing respect among their peers. Awful, awful things happen when groups of wicked people get together. Look at verse 23. It says, So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, and then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat... They looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders. Now, these brothers were corrupt. I mean, they beat Joseph, they threw him into a cistern, and they just left him to die while they sit there eating, probably just listening to him scream for help in the background, if you can kind of picture this in your mind. But, guys, listen. Many times God intervenes at just the right time. Have you noticed that in your life? that if we will just wait, God will come through. He will intervene at just the right time. I mean, it seemed like a coincidence that these Ishmaelite traders came by at just that time, right? Just probably coincidence, but it wasn't. I mean, the truth is, if they had been there 30 minutes sooner or 30 minutes later, they would have been too late. But listen, God is never late. God always has a plan. And so his brothers sold Joseph to these slave traders. Look at verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. So instead of hurting him, let's sell him. Let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. I mean, after all, I love this. After all, he is our brother. How compassionate and sweet. Isn't that just the sweetest thing you've ever heard? I mean, he's our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's just make him a slave. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. So you got 10 brothers, you got 20 pieces or shekels, that word is, of silver. And a silver shekel was probably worth less than a dollar in today's market. So it's not like they're making bank Okay, They're not getting much for this. So each got two shekels. So let's just put ourselves in in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. I mean, the truth is you're sitting here, you find out what this talks about today, you've heard about a little bit, and you think, man, yeah, it's going to be good. I've been hurt by people. I've been wounded by others. So let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes because we think we've been hurt by people. Here he is. He's a 17-year-old boy who his father had always protected, And he's being assaulted by his own brothers. And they even attempted murder. Okay, anybody had somebody try to kill you? A few of you may, but they tried to kill him. And then they have this so-called compassion on him. And so they sell him as a slave where he's shackled and he's put in a cage. And then he has to go to this foreign place where he now has to eat food that he probably wouldn't have fed to the animals. I was telling Carson a couple of weeks ago when he uh, began college classes at Cumberland there, I said, I remember my first time I drove over that mountain to Cumberland Um, I remember it's Cumberland College back then, but there was that old crooked 92, you know, it just went like this the whole time. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I had my old 1982 GMC Sierra S15 long bed with my portable CD player playing Dwight Yoakam with that uh, cassette adapter you got to have to play it, you know. You kids don't know what we're talking about, but that was high tech back then. But I remember just blasting up, it was a little staticky, but, uh, but I was playing A Thousand Miles from Nowhere by Dwight Yoakam was the song I had on repeat. And um, I was only 30 miles away, it was just Williamsburg, you know, but I didn't know anybody. And so it felt like I was a thousand miles away. And it was a very, very empty feeling, I remember. I mean, I was, was It was rough. I just remember almost fighting back the tears, having to leave the county that I called home into this new venture where I didn't know anybody. But here's Joseph. he snatched away from his home with no hope of ever returning. His only hope was that someday maybe his father would come and redeem him. And just a side note here, that should be our only hope as well, that someday God's going to come back and take us home. But you know, his brothers lied to their dad about him. Look at it in verse 31. It says, Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? And their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, It's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Guys, Jacob was crushed, as you could imagine. This was a deliberate attempt to deceive him. You notice here the brothers didn't say, hey, dad, your, your son's dead, we're so sorry. No, they didn't say that because they knew he wasn't dead. No, they arranged these circumstances so that Jacob would arrive at a false conclusion. And can I just ask you this morning, what's the worst thing that a family member, or relative has ever done to you? I read about a 74-year-old man who shot his 54-year-old son while he was laying on the couch because he was convinced the family was going to put him into a nursing home. But guess what? He didn't go to a nursing home. He went to jail. So, but anyway, I just thought, man, that's crazy. You know, crazy. What about you? What about you? What's the worst thing that's ever been done to you by a relative? Did, did a relative cheat you out of some money? Make fun of you and tear you down maybe when you were a kid. Physically or sexually abuse you. Turn others in your family against you. When when the people we love the most, when they betray us, it can scar us for life. We just can't seem to get over it like we can other things. I mean, we can't just get it out of our minds. It's tough. And Joseph... His abuse wasn't over. When he got to Egypt, he was mistreated by his supervisors as well. He was taken to Egypt by a man named Potiphar, who was the chief of the guards for King Pharaoh. And he was a military man. You know, he gave orders. He had the authority to execute people even. But God was in the shadows kind of watching over Joseph this entire time. And I want you to know that when you're going through tough times, God's not left you. He's in the shadows and he's watching over you the entire time. And what seemed like a horrible situation here for Joseph, it turned out to be a good situation because Potiphar recognized Joseph's talents. I mean, he knew talent. He knew leadership when he saw it and he could easily delegate authority. And so look at chapter 39, verse two, as it says, the Lord was with Joseph So why? What happened? He succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, and so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household For Joseph's sake, all his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and his livestock flourished. Guys, if this were us, what would we have done? I mean, Joseph could have moped around just feeling sorry for himself, couldn't he? He could have refused to cooperate. He could have demanded his rights. That's what everybody wants to do now, right? I have rights. Uh, But he, he could have refused to work. He could have done all that i mean he could have said no speak egyptian i do nothing right and act like you don't understand the language maybe he could have taken his own life as so sadly so many people are doing these days living with no hope but he didn't he didn't joseph bloomed where he was planted he didn't feel sorry for himself very long. No, he went to work, he cooperated, he used his gifts, and he allowed God to use him where he was. Guys, did you know that much of the time that happiness is just simply a choice? It is. We can choose much of the time to be content, to be happy, to allow God to use us. Listen, regardless of the way that other people treat us. Regardless, most of the time it's up to us. It's a choice. But just when Joseph seemed to be on top of the world again, he gets into trouble. He was tempted, and then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Look at it in in the second part of verse 6. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now, there were four things that made Joseph tempting to miss Potiphar, okay? The first one is his physical attractiveness. And I'll just be honest with you, this is something I've never had to struggle with. My parents were going to name me Joseph, but they look at Genesis 39, 6, and they said I don't match up with him, so we're going to go with Kenny. Um, but anyway, sorry. But that wasn't the case with him, all right? Or Brad. I know it's not the case with Brad. I know that when they got married, you know, uh, Emma had to fight off women just to get down the aisle because of his physical physique. So, sorry. The second thing that probably uh, was tempting to Miss Potiphar was his impressive success. I mean, he did everything well. Everything he did was well. And God blessed it. And the third thing was his availability in the absence of her husband. I mean, Joseph was in the house every day. That's a dangerous situation indeed. And the fourth thing was his refusal to her advances. He he was a challenge to her. And you guys, you think about those four things. Those four things are not all that much different today when someone cheats on their spouse. You know, somebody's attracted to somebody, they're successful, they're available, and, and they're a challenge. But that must have been a strong temptation for Joseph. I mean, think about it. Here he is, a guy in his his 20s. He's not married. He's probably lonely. He's hurting. And she just kept after him, you know, complimenting him and teasing him and flirting with him. And he didn't give in. I mean, we can make a list of people who've yielded to to temptation. You know, in the Bible, we got people like Samson and, and David and Solomon and there are those in modern day times as well, but we just don't read about them very much because integrity is not something that's going to write storylines, you know, on in the internet sites or, or the front of magazine covers. It's, it's not what sells, even though it does write the story of our lives. There are probably some in the political arena who have withstood temptation, even though I just can't think of anybody right now. That's a tough one, but uh, there may be. But that's what makes Joseph's response so impressive. Look at verse 8. Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against Potiphar? No. He says it would be a great sin against God. And she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Good move, Joseph. Listen, just because you've been hurt badly, just because you don't know what God's doing in your life right now, doesn't give you a license to be immoral. Many people get hurt, they get, they get ticked at God, they don't understand what he's doing, It's like, well, forget you, God, I'm going to go do what I feel like doing, right? Joseph doesn't do that. He doesn't take that as a, as a license to be immoral. I mean, if anyone had an excuse, it was Joseph. He could have whined and played the victim as so many people in our society do. He could have been so angry at God and bitter with his brothers I mean, most people wouldn't even have blamed him if he had slept with Potiphar's wife. But he didn't. He kept his faith. He kept his purity. And the only thing that he lost was his coat. That was it. Look at verse 11. It says, One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. And she came and she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that he was holding his cloak, she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. In other words, she began to yell rape. So Joseph did the right thing again. Here we go. And what happens? He's in more trouble and he's falsely accused. There seems to be just no justice here. But you know, if if we associate with people of the world, if we associate with the people of the world who have no problem with trying to tempt us to sin, people who disregard our moral character, listen, it's just inevitable we'll get burned eventually. If that's the people we spend all of our time with who don't, who don't care about purity, don't care about walking close with God, we will get burned eventually. Sometimes it's unavoidable as it was in Joseph's case. But other times it's not. Then Potiphar, his boss there, didn't believe him and put him in prison. Look at verse 19. It says, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held and there he remained. But think about that. Think about that. Have you ever wondered why Potiphar didn't just execute Joseph on the spot if he believed that were true? I mean, he's the head of the guard of Pharaoh. He has the power to execute a slave. And it makes us wonder that maybe Potiphar was suspicious that Joseph wasn't really guilty. And so he just put him into prison to save face. Right? I mean, he could have killed him. Probably would have if he would have believed it. But this whole scenario, this whole thing we're talking about just doesn't seem right. I mean, this isn't justice. Joseph's being mistreated by someone who should have believed in him, but rather he puts him in prison. I went to prison once. It was when our federal pen in knot, the penitentiary, was being built, and a friend of mine who was an engineer there gave me a tour one Friday evening, and it was like a ghost town because all the workers come in. They came in on Sunday night, and then they would go leave and go back home to their families after Thursday, um, or after work on Thursday. But the electricity hadn't been hooked up yet. And I was visiting this special unit where, like, if the prisoners misbehaved, uh, they'd be locked up for, like, 23 out of 24 hours. Like, like one hour of physical activity in this uh, chained-in yard there. And it was a, even, like, a concrete bed there. They said they would tie people up if they're really misbehaving, you know, uh, chain them down or whatever. And I thought, man, this is serious. I would, I would hate to do time in here, you know. And then, my friend has a joke. He pulls that huge metal door shut behind me and I just heard a loud clang. And then about five minutes later, after thinking he was just joking and he was trying to get this door back open, I realized he wasn't joking. Okay, He is really sweating now trying to get this thing up out of this, this hole here. And the door had fell down into this slot with no electricity to get it back up and over. And he couldn't get it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm about to spend the weekend in prison. That's about what's going to happen here. There's no doubt. Because it was like 45 minutes later, and I'm just sitting there on this concrete bed going, ah, man, this is what it's like. This 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 is rough. So anyway, 45 minutes later, he calls another engineer who happened to be there and didn't go home. And the two of them together, after me doing an hour of hard time in prison, uh, they got me out and set me free. But I got it all on video. It's a, for you kids, it's a VCR cassette tape. It's on one of those. But uh, Joseph's prison experience wasn't like that, okay? He was thrown in with the remains of society. People mistreated him, He, he was neglected by his friends. But in prison, he was befriended by the warden. Look at it in verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. God's always faithful, guys. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord, here we is. the Lord was with him. And he caused everything he did to succeed. Notice in those scriptures what the Lord did, right? The Lord was still with Joseph. He didn't leave him during this time. He made him a favorite of the prison warden. He took care of everything. It says again in the last part there, the Lord was with him. When we're going through hard times, guys, I want you to remember God's with you. He's with you working things out. Have you noticed that everywhere Joseph's gone so far that he's a favorite. I mean, he's a favorite of his dad's. He's the favorite of Potiphar. He's the favorite of the prison warden. And later on, he's the favorite of Pharaoh. People like Joseph. He was a good man. But listen, good people still get abused by other people, as we see in this story. You can be a good guy and a good girl, people will still abuse you. Okay? While he was in prison, He makes friends with Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer. So evidently there had been this attempt to poison Pharaoh. And so the cook and the wine taster were both suspected. They were suspended and they were put into prison. Then both of them, while they were in prison, they had dreams that that troubled them. It worried them. And so in Genesis 40, Joseph asked, hey, why are you guys so worried? Like what's going on with you? And in verse 8, they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph said. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And so the cupbearer unloads on him and tells him his dream. He says, well, I had a dream last night where I saw a grapevine with three branches on it. And I took a cluster of grapes and I gave it to Pharaoh. And Joseph said, oh, oh, that's easy. He said, that's cake there. I got this one, okay? In three days, you're gonna be restored to your position and you will give the cup to Pharaoh again. But hey, when you are restored, Since I've done you a favor, would you care to do me a favor as well? The truth is, I shouldn't be in here. I need Pharaoh to pardon me. Would you ask him for me? The guy says, sure thing. I'll do it. I got you. The baker saw that whole thing take place, saw the interpretation was good. So he said, well, I had a dream too. And uh, there was this basket on my head with these three loaves of bread in it. And then the birds came and and they ate the bread. And Joseph said, that's not good. Okay, bad news. You better get your house in order. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then the birds will come and they will peck away at your flesh. Ouch. I'd be like... I'd be, okay, Freddy Krueger, let me take a quick nap and see if we can work something else out, okay? Because I don't like that that interpretation. But it happened. Happened just like he said there. Just as Joseph had predicted. They were at Pharaoh's birthday party and he executed the baker while restoring the cupbearer. But in Genesis 40, verse 23, it says that that Pharaoh's chief cupbearer forgot all about Joseph, never gave him another thought. But eventually, Joseph was blessed by God. But it took time. Guys, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. In verse 1 of Genesis 41, it says it was two full years later. Two full years later that Pharaoh had a dream. Two full years later. Guys, listen. Sometimes there's nothing we can do when we're hurting but wait. That's the truth. When you and I are hurting, sometimes there's nothing to do but wait. Wait on the Lord. Two years Joseph waited, and then Pharaoh had a dream. And if you remember this story, you may remember this dream, but there were seven fat cows out of the Nile River who came, and they were um, devoured by seven skinny cows who followed them. Okay, The, The skinny cows ate the fat cows, and Pharaoh went back to sleep, and he dreamed. Again, that he saw seven fat stalks of grain devoured by seven thin stalks of grain. And he was disturbed, so disturbed the next morning that he called in his magicians, his his wise men. And he asked them to interpret the dream. But guess what? Nobody could. Nobody could do it. And then all of a sudden, all this this talk was stirred up about Pharaoh's dreams. It triggered the memory of the cupbearer. And in Genesis 41, nine, he, he says, Oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember a guy when I was in prison who can interpret dreams. I can't believe I forgot him. It was, it was a Jewish boy. What was his name? Um, Joseph. Joseph, that was his name. He can interpret your dreams. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. And look at verse 14. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. And after he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that, that when you hear about a dream, that you can interpret it. Joseph said, it's, it's beyond my power to do this, but God. But God can tell you what it means, and he can set you at ease. Don't you just love Joseph? I mean, here's an opportunity for him to boast and, and brag and say, well, I, you know, I, I have interpreted a few dreams in my day. But he doesn't. He doesn't say, yeah, let's make a deal here. You give me some money. You, you let me out of prison. You make me some of that good three strands coffee um, and, and I'll do it, right? No. Joseph just humbly says, listen, I can't do it, but God can. And so Joseph interprets the dream. He says, there will be seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. So you'd better store up during the seven prosperous years. And Pharaoh was wowed. And he said, that's it. That's the meaning. Let's do it. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh promotes Joseph to the vice president of Egypt. Guys, listen, when God gets a hold of someone, it is incredible how quickly our circumstances can change. Some of you have been feeling beat down for months and days and weeks and whatever. When God gets a hold of somebody, it can change like that. A situation we think will end us can turn around in just a matter of moments when God's in it. One day, Joseph is confined to a dungeon. The next day, listen, he's the vice president of Egypt. He's walking around like an Egyptian. Listen to the bangles on his portable CD player. Walk, okay, that was too old, sorry. Kids, there's a song back in the day called Walk Like an Egyptian, but look at verse 41 of chapter 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in fine linen clothing and he, and he hung a gold chain around his neck. Potiphar's wife had his old ragged coat, but look at him now. Look at him now. Verse 43 says, Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the, commander, uh, the command was shouted, Kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And he was also given a family to love. Look at verse 45. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zaphnath Panea. I kind of like Joseph better. That's just my preference, but whatever. He also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He's free. He's turned down the temptation of Potiphar's wife, and now he has a beautiful wife of his own, and he's blessed with two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Fast forward about nine years later, and Joseph, you know the story, is reconciled to his brothers, and he's reunited with his father. Because that famine had become so severe, the brothers came to Egypt looking for grain. They were starving. And when they see Joseph, they didn't recognize him. But Joseph immediately recognized them. And what happens? He is so overcome with emotion that he can barely speak. All these years, just imagine, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. All these years as a slave in prison. All of this hostility from his brothers. And here they were standing before him. And he had them right where he wanted them. Now he could make them squirm if he wanted to. He could put them in prison if he chose to. He could torture them or or treat them, listen, the way they treated him. Isn't that what so many people do today? Twist the golden rule and treat people the way they treat us rather than the way we want to be treated. He could have executed them. And I'm sure, you know, Joseph was human like us. I'm sure Joseph wrestled with the thought of revenge. I'm going to pay them back. So what happened? Well, the first thing is he grilled them to see if his father and his brother were alive. Starts drilling them with questions to see if his brother, youngest brother and and father were still alive. And then he tested them to see if they were repentant. And then in this dramatic moment, Joseph's character once again is revealed. This man who had been so hurt, so wounded by other people, as all of us in the room have, he does the right thing yet again. You know what he did? He chose to forgive. He chooses to forgive. Look at it in verse 1 of Genesis 45. It says Joseph could could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you, get out. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then he broke down and he wept. Guys, it's not wrong to cry. Sometimes tears can release years of pent-up emotion. So those of you who have been told, don't do it, it's okay. It says, he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. And he looked at his brothers and he said, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But you can imagine his brothers, it says, were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there right in front of them, and he said, please come closer, and they inched closer. I mean, he could prove he was Joseph. He spoke Hebrew. He knew them all by name, but look at the second part of verse 4. It says, so they came closer, and he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. But listen, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place, because it was God. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. And later on, he tells them what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. And so deeply wounded, but he still saw God's hand at work in all of this. And so he brought his entire family to Egypt. He was tearfully reunited with his father, and he saved his family from certain starvation. Guys, for those of you sitting here this morning who have been wounded by others, let me just close by giving us three take-home lessons from Joseph's life, and then we'll be done. The first one is this. There will be times when people mistreat you. Expect it. There are going to be times when people mistreat you. Just expect it. The truth is we live in a fallen world. We are surrounded by worldly people. We, we were once a part of them, right? I mean, and without Jesus, the best we can do is sin. Even Christians are far from perfect. We screw up all the time, don't we? And you can be shocked or you can accept the reality that people are imperfect and they will hurt you at times. You can decide that you're not going to carry a chip on your shoulder, that you're not going to wear your feelings on your sleeve. You know, so many people, when they're wounded, they just wallow in self-pity and they make excuses for their sin. It's because of my heredity or it's because of my environment that I grew up in. Listen, I get it. I get it. Some of you didn't have the loving, supportive parents that other people had. I know. Some of you didn't grow up in the loving, supportive house that others did. I get it. I know people have wounded you. But listen, your family is not responsible for who you are now. It's not their fault anymore. We lived in a messed up world. And you're not a lone ranger if you've been treated wrongly. We all have. 1 Peter 4.12 tells us. It says, dear friends, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. I mean, we all go through them. It is a fallen world we're living in. People will sin. We're going to be wounded sometimes. Expect it. Stephanie said it in the beginning when she was talking today. Three things she learned from the book. I will disappoint you. You will disappoint me, but God will never disappoint us. The second lesson is this. Bitterness will destroy you. Release it. Bitterness will tear you apart. Release it. Listen, people like to get even. People like to vent on social media and tear us down. They want to go on strike when things don't go their way. I remember a guy told me, I'll see to it that you never get a job here. I was told my first year of substitute teaching when I was fresh out of college because I refused to do something that I didn't think God wanted me to do. I heard about a wife who'd been bitter towards her husband almost their entire marriage. And so when he died, she had written on his tombstone, To my beloved husband, may you rest in peace until we meet again. Some people never give up, do they? They never give up. They are going to get even no matter what. But not Joseph. Not Joseph. The scriptures teach us in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. It says, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you." So when people say, "I just can't forgive her, I can't forgive them, OK, that's fine, but God might not forgive you." Okay, I'm good, I'll forgive them. Right? Listen, there comes a time when, when we say, "I forgive." I am releasing this. I'm not going to get even. Because listen, I've said this before here, but bitterness will do more damage in the container in which it's stored than on the object on which it's poured. It will eat you alive, not the other person. If you refuse to forgive, you're just tearing yourself down. They're not even thinking about you anymore. We've got to learn to forgive, to release, to say, not that you were right and what you did was okay and it didn't hurt me, because it did. The truth is what you did was wrong and it did hurt me. But listen, here's what true forgiveness says. I'm giving up my right to retaliate and get even. I don't have to talk to you and be your best friend, but I'm giving up my right to get you back. It will do more damage in you, the container in which it's stored, than on the object on which its poured. bitterness will. Forgive. Release it. And the last thing is this. Faithfulness will reward you. Practice it. Faithfulness will reward you, so let's practice it. Guys, listen. When life falls apart and when people hurt us, Satan loves to get two types of people into his pit. The offender and the offended. The one who does the wrong and the one who feels like the victim and then retaliates or maybe runs from God into a world of sin. and We get bitter at God and we say, if that's the way a loving heavenly father treats his kids, then I'll just go do whatever I feel like doing. Ever been there? Not Joseph. Joseph was faithful to God. Remember what he said? How can I do this thing and sin against my God? I wish many people in our world would say the same thing. People that call themselves Christians and are tempted to sin. I wish they would say, how can I do this thing? And not sin against you, but sin against my God. Joseph was faithful. He was a faithful slave. He was a faithful prisoner. He was a faithful leader of a nation. He was a faithful brother. And guys, God rewarded him in the end. If there's one thing I would want said about my life when I die, is that he was faithful. If there's one thing you're going to want said about you at the end of your life, is that you were faithful to God. And he will reward you in the end. Guys, it's time for us to practice what we say we believe. I mean, we say that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. So let's quit feeling sorry for ourselves and dragging everybody around us down. I mean, it's true. If we will just wait on the Lord, if we will just trust in the Lord, he will work all things out together for the good, the scriptures say, for those who are called according to to his purpose. Do you believe that? Do you take God at his word and trust his promises? I do this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those in the room who are just hurt. I pray that when we're wounded by other people, that we wouldn't run away from you, but that we would turn around and sprint towards you. And we know that if we'll do that, you'll be standing there with the arms wide open, ready to comfort us just to hold us and and help us to forgive other people. So God, help us to do that, to humble ourselves, step in our pride. And I know it's some tough stuff. I'm not trying to minimize it, Lord. There's people here who have been hurt deeply, but I want them to be set free where they can experience grace and truth from you. So would you help them just to let go and forgive, to give up their right to retaliate and get even today? Would you just show us grace. And help us to remember the degree that you have forgiven us. And I know that will make it a lot easier when we're trying to forgive other people. Thank you for your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.